This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Hi, I'm John McEnroe. I'm Bjorn Borg. This is Martina Navratilova. I'm Mats Vilander. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. I'm Jim Boyle. And you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Well, hello and welcome to The Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with The Telegraph and with Eurosport and presented and introduced today by Jim Boyle, one of our Kickstarter backers who has helped this tennis podcast exist in 2017. And hopefully you'll all agree that it has flourished as well. So thank you very much, Jim, for backing us. Uh, Catherine Whitaker and I are back together, uh, sort of. We're, we're not in the same place, but we're on the same line. Catherine, we've got loads to talk to you about today. Not only the fact that we missed out on your thoughts of the US Open because you were ill for, for several days on end. Don't need to remind you about that. Uh, we've had loads of talk. We've had the Davis Cup. We've got Tokyo to talk about. We've just had Laver Cup, which has uh, really caught the imagination of a lot of people. And uh, we'll have a good old debate about that. We'll hear from Simon Briggs, who was there from The Telegraph. Uh, I had a chat with him earlier today. We'll play you that. And uh, most importantly, Catherine Whittaker, you appear to have a new forehand that I do not want any part of. Yeah, I'm so glad that video evidence was captured of that forehand by my brother, not um, upon my asking, I have to say. Uh, yeah, I, I've spent the week, or, or it, it feels like a, a hazy, distant memory now, unfortunately, but uh, it was very vivid at the time I spent the week uh, at La Manga in Spain. A um, Well, for me, it was a, a tennis holiday, but I, I think you can do all sorts of other you know there were most people in fact most people there were on a golf holiday and when I told them I was playing tennis they said oh tennis great um yeah and I've got a new forehand it's quite good it's erratic it it, it is it it's always oh, the way good. it's always the way with coaching isn't it it's um two steps forward one step back um and unfortunately the one step back is always so fantastically frustrating what people don't say enough about tennis david is obviously it's wonderful you know we 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 have dedicated our lives to it and have no regrets it's a wonderful wonderful sport but it is the most fantastically difficult sport on the planet i believe i mean I've not tried every sport. I've said this, I think, before on the podcast, but I, you know, I had a pretty lucky childhood in that I, I, you know, was one of those kids that went to a class or a lesson at some point or another of most 
sports and activities. And tennis is by far the most difficult sport. And people don't say that enough. But I'm saying no. it. It's okay. it's wonderfully and, and and the fact that it's so difficult makes it you know the the the, the tiny improvements that you do make are, are fantastically satisfying and, and the whole week was I mean oh it was wonderful it was absolutely wonderful Whitaker family tennis holiday what could be better you did look particularly happy with yourself and uh, particularly pleased with that forehand and I. Uh, I'm quite pleased to discover that it's erratic because on first viewing, uh, I did immediately withdraw my uh, rematch request. But um, I well, might think again now. When I'm being fed lovely clean balls by a coach and they're they're sitting up at just the right height and he's shouting all the right instructions to me, it's not erratic. It's bang on, and I felt like Steffi Graf. But then when I get into a match situation and and uh, the ball isn't in exactly the right place and my feet aren't in exactly the right place, uh, it becomes slightly erratic but I have promised Rafa my coach for the week that I would not go back to my old um less less top spinny forehand that I wouldn't go back to my old grip so I have to I'm on a path now David (laughs) you had a coach called Rafa (laughs) I had a coach called Rafa he did all the obligatory uh, Nadal jokes I think you had some Rafa time as well when you were in La Manga. No, I saw him from afar. He was he was way above my level, I'm afraid. So I wasn't allowed to have he, coaching with him. Uh, he he t- t- tried to be. Pro- he was he turned pro for it. He actually um, works as a hitting partner at the um, events in Madrid and Beijing. And uh, on another less congested podcast, um, I will uh, perhaps offer up the insights that he gave me into into the life of a, a sparring. Uh, partner as he called it because it was really interesting I mean that's that's sort of a role that we're aware of and know exists but um but we don't sort of ever hear that much about it but it was all very interesting and I've got a new forehand and I'm very pleased about it tentatively um because I I always think with with because I spend all, all as you do spend all my time watching tennis and around tennis players I sort of somehow think that by osmosis or something I should be better than I am do you know what I mean I know, like, oh, I've well, got another you know, 15 I've years in the bank been watching Federer for the last two weeks so obviously my game is going to be a bit more Federer like and it just doesn't work like that but if no. you do want to become just that fraction more Federer like um, I can highly recommend a week in La Manga there you go, Catherine Whitaker, uh, and the coaching special will be coming soon, and the rematch will because I, I am up for this. It's pretty annoying. It it's pretty rain. annoying when you're having a joint coaching session with your brother, and he starts being used as the demo for your coaching. Yeah, he's far too good for our liking. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, talking about watching Federer, we've been doing a bit of that the last few days as well because Labour Cup has been on and it has been creating a lot of discussion. If you if you didn't get to see it now, a lot of People in Britain were extremely frustrated on Sunday because... Me, uh, David, me. You, yeah, Catherine Whitaker was one of them. Uh, yeah, and the reason I, I, for that is... I can barely is... participate in this Labour Cup discussion because I wasn't able to watch this famous climax that you're about to describe. Oh, dear, that, that's going to really not go down well at all. Well, basically, in the UK, it was on Sky Sports and they kept shifting around the channel that it was on and then sticking it behind the red button. If it was behind the red button, it meant it didn't work on iPads, on Sky Go. And 
people's signal was going down and was, we were getting all sorts of people tweeting us and saying, this is so frustrating, you telling us how good it is and, and we can't even watch it. So uh, that's obviously uh, something that needs ironing out uh, in the future. But if you didn't get to hear about what this event was, basically they were trying to recreate or create a, a tennis version of the Ryder Cup. And it was all done by Roger Federer and his management company, who just created this from scratch, basically. They'd got their own sponsors, all of his sponsors on board. And they'd got Tennis Australia and the USTA behind it. They'd got Rod Laver in place, who it was named after. They'd got team captains of John McEnroe captaining Team World and Bjorn Borg captaining Team Europe. They had... Well, many of the best players from those particular locations, uh, continents in in place. And so Europe had Federer, Nadal, uh, Dominic Team, Alexander Zverev, Thomas Burdick and Marin Cilic. And Team World had Kyrgios, Nick Kyrgios and um, uh, Sam Querrey, John Isner. Francis Tiafoe was drafted in as a replacement for, for Juan Martin Del Potro. Denis Shapovalov was there. That was the lineup. It was meant to be a black court. Have to say, it looked grey to me. But anyway, it was. It was. It was. The idea was for it to be blended black, um, and team colours of blue for Europe, red for the stage, which I thought worked particularly well on TV. They really popped out of the screen. Three day event, uh, escalating point system, and then a climax on Sunday. And it was. Um, I mean, I thought it was an amazing climax, but I, 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 I'm sorry to rub that in, Catherine. Just before we speak to Simon Briggs, your, your initial thoughts? Oh, my, my initial thoughts are myriad, so I'll try and distill it down to sort of a positives and a negatives column, and then we'll, after we've heard from Simon, who, whose opinions are far, well, certainly very, very relevant because he was there on site, um, we'll go into it in a bit more detail. But um, my instinct is to be very positive about it um because i think anybody that that's you know pouring a lot of money in, into something which could potentially bring a new audience a big audience to the sport i think um our instincts should be positive about it and there is no doubt that money is being poured into this it is dripping dripping in in money and and i and i think there are there are positives and negatives within that i mean the word slick is a, I, th- I heard Simon use it uh, in the uh, the piece we're about to hear from him, and it's a word that we, it, when we were exchanging texts about it, it's a word that came up a lot. It was so slick, you know. That uh, I think there were tiny elements about it that were just a bit over slick, just a bit overproduced. But basically, you know, trying to be positive about it, it was very well done and well executed, and that was partly due to the money that's been poured into it, partly due to you know, obviously very good event management, all of that. I think there are issues with legitimacy and they're not necessarily all specific to what they're doing. And I think there's a fundamental issue with you cannot make something matter from nowhere. You can't conjure that out of the blue. They're doing they're doing everything they can by getting Rod Laver on board and calling it the Laver Cup and forging the trophy from one of his old uh, I think it was forged from an old US Open trophy. You know, they're doing everything they can to artificially create meaning. But the problem is you can't artificially create meaning. And that that's not their fault. That's not anything specific to the event. But uh, And I don't know how you deal with that going forward. But I have a lot more thoughts than that. And I'm sure you do as well, David. But I think probably we should hear from Simon because he was there. Well, I think we were, we were not 
sure what to expect when we arrived and we were all surprised by the vibrancy of the thing really uh the intent of the players the um size of the crowds and the slickness of the presentation um you know that black court really worked on tv because obviously we did watch some of it on tv i thought it really worked uh, in the arena as well um just uh, it was really hard to work out you know where the weak spots were i mean um you don't want to be uh too overexcited about a new product which um you know may have a limited lifespan who knows but at the same time when people get it right people get it right yeah you you mentioned the court just just quickly on that um it it's it, did it look more black in person because on yeah. tv it looked gray yeah i actually quite liked that gray thing cuz i think i think it was mike dixon's wife who said that it uh, watching at home it looked like uh, a playstation game and i quite liked that about it it looked like everything else was in uh, monochrome didn't it with with the color spots of the of the two uh, blue and red shirts but in person it did look more sort of velvety um a little bit like a sort of jewelry box um that you might have sort of uh, got got a ring uh, out of um and that was uh, just part of of the whole show that just seemed to gel in the sense of it Everything about it was a slightly new look and, you know, variety in tennis, which can get a little bit identikit, particularly in the dog days of October. Um, variety is a, a huge asset. Yeah. No, I can see where you're coming from. The I, I read your piece this morning. If you haven't read Simon's piece yet, do do get a, a look at it because it gives you a full roundup of, of of the weekend and this pretty extraordinary climax in terms of how it felt. I mean, watching on TV, I, I was watching with my kids and we were really into it by the end. You know that that Kyrgios Federer match. Um, one thing you did say in your piece, which. Catherine had mentioned to me last night, just in passing it in terms of a query and, and something you, you just alluded to. It could have been scripted, couldn't it? Yeah. That, 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 was yeah. The, that was the agreement that the two teams decided, right, well, what we need to make sure is that this is still properly alive at the end and that Federer is playing Kyrgios for the Labour Cup. And then maybe we'll let that play out. That, that is a possibility. What, what, what was your feeling? Yes, and that is the one biggest weakness of the tournament. Not that it was necessarily scripted, but that we cannot know. Because, you know, on, on, on the level of point-by-point uh, point construction, tennis players can arrange things uh, on a level that, that is hard to detect for an outsider. You know, Rafa did miss three easy forehands. Yeah, sorry, I'm in the airport, so you're getting the, uh, the announcement now about the boarding call somewhere uh, near me. Um, Rafa did miss three easy forehands at the end of the first set of his match against Isner. Having said that, is he such a good actor that he can maintain that level of intense engagement as a spectator and as a player for the whole of the three days um, and then deliberately go out and lose a match? So you, that, that's not convincing either. I mean, I think the balance of probabilities, it probably wasn't scripted, but you can't know. And that is the weakness of it because there's no ranking points and it's not being played for a trophy that has a, a, a history or a standing in the sport. That's where the one question mark against the Labour Cup has to be found. The other one, I think, is the fact that the point system does mean that 
it's it's pretty much always going to be live, isn't it, on the final day? Now yeah. that's a strength in as much as you're guaranteed entertainment, you're guaranteed value for your ticket and the, the broadcasting rights and so forth. But strictly speaking, that isn't sport. Yeah, I mean, you can certainly argue that it, it feels a little bit contrived. Um, on the other hand, uh, you could also argue that by giving a ratcheting number of points, you're encouraging teams to put their biggest names on for the biggest rewards, and that is a kind of uh, there's a kind of logic in there somewhere. But I take your point. If uh, Roger had lost against Kyrgios, then the, t- the points would have been level, but it would have been seven five uh, to Europe in actual matches won and lost. Which is, it's not a sort of huge <laughs> sort of inequality between seven five and, and, the, and the tied points overall, but um, it, it, it's where entertainment meets sport, isn't it? And that's the kind of the, the awkward nexus that, that that you're dealing with in the Labour Cup, and at a certain extent. Well, I think we've talked about this before. That that applies to the whole of tennis, because tennis isn't absolutely fair. Whether you look at wild cards, for instance, or um, scheduling, uh, things are slightly stacked in favour of the the star draws. So it's a more obvious problem here, but but not necessarily a problem that is exclusive to Labour Cup. Mm. And actually, if you look at any match in isolation, you will often see a situation whereby one player has won more points during a match, but has lost the match because they haven't won what we might call the big points, the ones that decide the the vital games. So, I mean, you know, it's, it is easy to get a little churlish, I think, about these things. But at the same time, I don't think we're doing our job, are we, if we don't draw attention to the fact that, yeah. that this is a, a talking point at the very least, whether we decide, whether tennis decides, whether the media decide, whether the fans decide to overlook that and say, well, actually, it was just a fantastic weekend of entertainment and, and sports and we really enjoyed it and we want more of it. That will, I guess, stand, you know, come out in the course of time. Yes, I think that's, that's the point, isn't it? That, that, that it's, it's very difficult to know where a, a, an event like this will go in the long term. Even Roger admitted that was the first thing he said, actually, after beating Kyrgios, was time will tell how big the Labour Cup will become. And one other point is, you know, it's not, not necessarily going to have the advantage of being able to field a Roger-Rafa doubles duo yeah. on, on each occasion. And again, this is a point that goes beyond Labour Cup because the sport as a whole faces an existential crisis when those two players... Uh, do stop competing against each other and the rest of the field. So, um, you know, it's, it's just it's just a fantastic start for it. Yeah, it, you can't you can't say for sure where any of these questions are, will will go. You've got, I think, you're right. You've got to raise the point of collusion. Is it possible that it happened? You've got to raise the point of the of the ratcheting score system. Is it? Does it feel right? I think it got away with everything for the moment. Let's see how next year goes. The other thing is, Simon, uh, beyond the stadium, it's very easy to become intoxicated when you're there, isn't it? Because the atmosphere is amazing and and, and the view would be, oh, even if you're maybe a cynical old hack. (laughs) I certainly know about that. Well, you're watching it and and I, I think it's impossible not to get swept up 
in it really because of it was it was great it was a there were moments in there at the end where Rafael Nadal is jumping into the arms of Roger Federer and then the two of them are embraced by Bjorn Borg and you got John McEnroe just staring broodily at them all I mean come <laughs> on that is those are moments that regardless of of, of whatever else happens, we can't forget those. And then you've got Rod Laver honoured in the middle of the court. You know, the guy is not going to be with us forever. It, it was wonderful in that respect. Um, the, the thing, there's a couple of things here. One is, generally speaking, can people get behind a team called World in the long run? Because, you know, it's going to go to Chicago next. I, an American team and audience would would massively get behind an American team the way way they do in in Ryder Cup. I think Team Europe has has been proven to work by Ryder Cup if the opposition is such that there's a strength of feeling and there is in Ryder Cup against the United States. But can it work with Team World in the long run? Yeah, I mean, I would have thought so. The the the, the, the partisanship in Prague wasn't as great as it would have been for a Davis Cup match. So, so the identification with the players and the teams wasn't as great um, as if, if they were playing for their country. And people were actually rooting for Isner to beat Rafa because they wanted to see Roger. And so, again, a broader point about tennis, it's the least partisan national sport. It's one of the few sports in which a lot of people, for instance, would support Roger Federer against Andy Murray in the UK. Not because they necessarily don't like Andy Murray, but because everyone loves Roger. It's a it's a very much a performance um, type of sport. It's very aesthetic, and people tend to gravitate towards personalities and styles that they actually relate to. So what you've got here is almost a way of projecting the personalities in a team format. And I think one vital element of the whole thing was this sense of of, of the reaction shots, uh, whether you were watching it live, whether you were watching it on TV, the sense of other players reacting to their um, their teammates, their opponents, and what was happening on the court, the captains doing that too. You know, that, that exists in Davis Cup, but it was certainly much more free and expressive and full of personality here than I can remember it ever at a Davis Cup match, because almost the informality of the setting allowed it to be more fun. And so you had all those crazy routines um, that the world team were doing, the, the, uh, <laughs> the archery stuff and, and, and the imaginary uh, slam dunks in a basketball hoop and all sort of falling down on the floor. It was less about identifying with it either the world or Europe than it was about getting a window into the personalities of the players and seeing them in a different light and bringing them out in a more colourful way. Mm. That's interesting. There are going to be some interesting questions for you and your colleagues and myself and my colleagues in the broadcast media to ask of the ATP and the ITF, isn't there, in the future, about what they've made of this weekend? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the problem for the ATP is that their tour is almost always... Uh, the same in terms of the format. And I think this weekend has shown that, uh, as I say, variety is very important. The problem with the Davis Cup is that it's just lost the confidence of the leading players and they're almost wanting to, to put a stick in the eye of the ITF because they feel, rightly or wrongly, that they're not getting a fair deal and that they're not being led in a confident or smart way uh, by the powers that be so both of them will have to decide how seriously to take it 
Um, if they don't take it seriously, I think that would be foolish because it's shown that innovation uh, can achieve an awful lot. Should they embrace it? Well, they're not going to be able to kill it. I think we've seen that already. So constructive cooperation um, would be sensible. Um, if the Labour Cup does dwindle, it won't be because of anything the ATP or, or, or ITF do, I would say. So um, we might as well get round the table. Mm, interesting. F- final question, Simon. From a media standpoint, how is this going to is this going to grow in your view? Let let's put it simply: Will you be in Chicago a year from now? Well, we, we were discussing that there is a there is an issue here um, that almost certainly Great Britain will lose to Spain in the first Davis Cup round next year, uh, and that would mean that there is a Davis Cup relegation battle for Great Britain. Uh, the the week before Labour Cup, and you know, for all the criticism of the ITF and the, and, the, and the tournament, that still means a lot. So, in terms of our schedules, we're probably not going to want to go to both because we got to the US Open immediately before it, and I think we probably will still go for the Davis Cup rather than the Labour Cup. So that that possibly gives you a sense of realism as to how far this has come. It's been a fantastic splash. But you've got a 117-year-old competition, uh, which exists already. And so I think that possibly puts a little bit of, of proportion on what we're talking about, that you know, this stage I would expect to be at Davis Cup instead. Very interesting. Well, it has been a fascinating weekend, no matter what happens from here. Simon, glad you enjoyed it. Um, hopefully you get a little bit of a break now. Lovely to talk to you as always. Thanks, David. So there's Simon Briggs, who was there throughout the Labour Cup weekend, Catherine. Fascinating to hear his insight. And I do, I can imagine getting swept up in it when you're there. I mean, he he and his colleagues will have done their utmost to to keep a detached view as best they can. I have to say, I I was really swept up with it during during the final session. Um, But overall, the points that we were discussing there about the point system and i mean you know the 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 query and i and i should say i don't think it was fixed personally i i I, maybe i'm naive but i don't i i think looking at the reactions of of the players i i they would have to be the best actors on they they should go to hollywood now forget tennis because if they can if they can produce those reactions without being genuine I, i i i don't know how they've done it that's very impressive yeah on the, um, on the, should we address the subject of the, the the fixing or the not fixing or the, the speculation about the fixing should we just address that as a, a single unit of, sure. of debate i i think if it was fixed in some way I, I certainly don't think it was as you you know sort of put it to simon did was it scripted i absolutely don't think it was scripted i don't think there was any official discussion or instruction or you know let's have it come down to the vi- final match i think and it's quite possible that my years spent on on the champions tour where this sort of thing i'm sure it won't be as surprise to anyone went on it's quite possible that I'm hardened and cynical from that I do accept that but I think if it it was not entirely genuine that was due to 
players sort of taking it upon themselves uh, or, you know, an unspoken thing, a sort of we are a, a part of this event. We want it to be a success. We know, you know, it's like, you know, Thomas Enquist wants to be invited back to the Albert Hall next year. So he realises that possibly beating Tim Henman and knocking him out of the tournament might not be the, the best thing. You know, I, I think it would come more from that sort of a place rather than a, an active scripting. Um, I've no idea if that happened. And I I agree with you. <laughs> there would have been some very, very cynical acting going on if that were the case. And it's possible that it, it was somewhere in the middle, you know, that the, the, those forehands that Rafa missed against Isner, he didn't deliberately, consciously make the decision, I'm going to dump these into the net. But equally, it was somewhere in the back of his mind that it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world if he lost that match. Do you know what I mean? Like, it, it could have been... I don't think it's as binary as was it scripted or not scripted. I've no idea. I want to believe in it. I think there's a very good chance it was all legit. But equally, as Simon expressed very eloquently, the the very problem is the fact that we're questioning it, isn't it? Not not what the answer is. The the fact is that we're asking the question, and that is a problem because you wouldn't ask the question with the Ryder Cup. You just wouldn't. No. Um, although I, I just can't imagine that from Nadal. I, I, I don't think he knows any other way than to just play outright. Uh, Hang if, on, if these, these guys, these guys play play exhibitions and charity matches, and and for sure, for sure, they they you know, no one's beating anyone love and love in a in a charity match match or exhibition match, even if you're as competitive as Nadal. So no, they, so I, they will I, but, have done that sort of thing before. But I don't think you can be halfway between being an exhibition and being full on i i, I just you, you, don't see that you may well be right you can turn you, you, it on and off you, you may well be right david i'm just putting it out there uh, uh, that that okay. that i don't that i don't know that i don't know i want to believe in it i agree with you the reactions seemed completely real to me i, I believed in them in the moment but equally there is a there's a cynical portion portion of me and i and i hope i hope that portion is wrong but the the problem is the, the questioning, isn't it? And, um, yeah, look, I mean, first, the Ryder Cup is one of the best things in sport. I, I'm not, I don't love golf, but I will always watch pretty much all of the Ryder Cup. I don't know about you, David. So I think the endeavour of trying to create that in tennis, regardless of anything else, is a, is a, is a worthy one. It's an interesting one, isn't it? Because uh, I spoke to, in preparation for today's show, last night while this was going on, I I exchanged messages with two of golf's correspondents. Um, One is James Corrigan of The Telegraph. The other one is Ian Carter from the BBC. Just to ask them about how the, the Ryder Cup came to be what it was. I mean, I knew some of the history that it used to be the USA against Great Britain and, and Ireland, uh, Northern Ireland, and then it turned into, um, sorry, Great Britain and Ireland, and then it turned into Europe against the United States, basically because it wasn't competitive enough. It was too one-sided each time. And uh, both of them said that... It comes down partly because there are separate tours. There is a European tour and there is an, a, a US tour. And therefore, you bring them together in this three-day event and it, and it really works and it's close and, and Europe 
death desperately wanted to sort of stuff it up but, the Americans but did, it, all, and, but and, it, and they did, did it always have the significance that it has now or has it had to build that up over time it's built I mean both of them said it, it had built uh, James Corrigan pointed to what he said was the war on the shore in 1991 I remember that I think that was Keir Island and he says the thing is the Americans were and are such the dominant force in Gulf and somehow Europe bonded against them what he does say, and this is his caveat to, to the Labour Cup in, in tennis, he says, golf has tried to mimic it with the President's Cup, which is taking place this week. He says, but nobody gives up, for a word, uh, he, he says it, the Ryder Cup, it was a question of it being a perfect storm, that, that it just kind of worked. And whether, whether you can recreate that in another sport that already has its own team competition with more than a century of history is another matter. And that that is one of the questions I would have is whether really what the Labour Cup's role is going to be is in creating a proper debate that leads to significant, meaningful Davis Cup change that turns the Davis Cup or a single team competition in tennis into a once a year thing that is effectively the fifth Grand Slam tournament, maybe with both men and women involved, nations involved over the space of a week or 10 days that feels like the Labour Cup. And maybe they join forces, present it like they've presented the Labour Cup, but have it country and country and country. I, d- I don't know exactly, but I th- that's I mean, what I wonder. I feel for the ITF because they must be thinking, you know, finally, after after years of players and journalists and everybody calling for it, finally they've, you know, embraced the prospect, you know, the principle of change. You know, they've had these board ma- meetings and voted in, um, com- in complicated means various forms of, you know, bringing on change and they think right okay you know we've done that and then along comes the Labour Cup and uh, rocks the boat hugely again and and I think Simon was very eloquent on um, you know the, the the uncertain future and and whether you know the ATP uh, will embrace it I, I agree with him that they cannot ignore it they cannot afford to ignore it and uh, then if they start to embrace it then you're left with all sorts of other then it it branches into all the other debates about you know the congested season we're looking at a tennis season where you know one of the biggest points of debate is the fact that everybody's falling apart physically and the season is obviously too long and tennis has become so physically demanding and yet you're adding events into the calendar and then so then then you, you once you start branching into all of that you're in just even more of a quagmire than when we started so um the other thing is i i would i'd love to see it um involving the women's game as well i'd love to see um i'd love to see it be a mixed competition but then you know again quagmire uh, so that let's leave that there um look fundamental problems for me are I don't like Europe versus world as a I I just think that is a is a sort of convenient fudge um to 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 try and create a balanced uh, a a balanced set of teams you know I I I, and, and I think Simon's point about the fact that tennis is probably the most unpartisan or non-partisan sport. I think that's a very important one, actually, that it's not necessarily something fundamental to Europe and world. It's a, it's actually in conjunction with something fundamental to tennis. But I do think that's a problem 
Um, you know, can we really imagine in Chicago next year the American crowd roaring for Kokinakis uh, the way they will for Isner? I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know about that. I think that's a fundamental problem. I think the whether or not, it, you know, l- let's 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 boil it down to the fundamentals david how many of those players would have been there this week had they not been paid had they not well, been, had they not been financially rewarded for being there from and if, the we, outset, if we're comparing it to few. the Ryder yeah. cup it, it, well exactly and and i don't think that's necessarily a criticism cuz you know they're trying to create something from nothing you know maybe maybe in the initial in the first instance money has to take the place of of meaning but at some point, meaning has to to take over, right? The money's a placeholder. So next yeah. year, next year, will will players be putting their hand up to play without asking for a fee? That's going to be very interesting. Well, I think that my guess is that they've got a fee structure in place so that they can keep supporting a fee paying system. For um, how long? So then? That, for how long? Well. If it's successful, it can just keep doing it, can't it? I mean, uh, but then you'll never. Well, you, then you'll circuit. then you'll never know if they're there. Well, players aren't aren't paid. It, I mean, there's prize money, but there's no appearance fee to 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 play at the Grand Slams. You know, that's not why no, they're but there. There are it's for many of the, the other by. tournaments. Yeah, but there's not for the Ryder Cup, David. You you don't want to feel to really. Are you sure about that? To really, really, really get behind the players in the way that you need to in this kind of team event. You can't be wondering if they're there for the cash. You have to feel like they're playing to represent their country or their region. You have to feel that. Ultimately, yes. Uh, But these are many of these are seriously rich people and uh, fees to some degree is just ticking a box. It's to say, yes, we are paying a fee. I mean, they can make money, uh, Rafael Nadal and Roger Federer can make money getting out of bed. Um, to do something else or to play an exhibition. They can make a fortune. So, I, Yeah, I, that applies I to golfers as well, though. That no, I, I understand that. Well. But, but, you, but the golf has got years and years of having built up what they've got. So, so yeah, the, the, so I, exactly. The money has to be a placeholder for something more. I agree with you. No, I, I agree with you, but I, I don't think that that will be taken away. Players get paid to play Davis Cup. They, they don't get paid, I imagine, the same amount, but they get a fee for yeah, it. Yeah, but, it's a, but, that, but that's almost like country. a wage, isn't it, for their time? It's not a, that's not, that is absolutely not the motivator. No, it isn't. And you, and also, you, and you, at, know, you know when you're watching Davis Cup, that that is not the reason why they're there. That's what that's what no, I've no, but, I've no but, problem but with look, them receiving some kind of money. But I was look watching. Look how few it of thinking, them are there, though, Catherine. How many of them are well, yeah, there? No, in no. Cup? That's a problem, isn't it? I agree. It? But okay, so then then you get into the entertainment uh, versus competitiveness argument. And again, I think Simon um, raised very well the fact that Labour Cup aside, that is still a fuzzy area within the sport. It's not perfect. You know, sometimes legitimacy is sacrificed in the name of entertainment, even at Grand Grand Slam level. So he's absolutely right about that. Um, but, you know, if it were... If it were all about winning, if it were all about getting getting the win for Europe or for world, Denis Shapovalov wouldn't have been there. I, I'm delighted he was, but you know when Del Potro dropped out, you wouldn't be looking to uh, TFO or Kokonakis. You'd be looking to the next highest ranked world player. You'd be looking at Diego Schwartzman. 
Do you know what I, I mean? Do you know I what wonder, I mean? Look, no, I, t- I totally, I totally know what you mean. But I also, I tell you, thirty years ago, before they changed the rules of the, the Ryder Cup, I don't think there are many British people who would have thought that they could have seen themselves as European for the for the Ryder Cup against the United States. That has built as Europe has built. And talking about, speaking of branching off into other areas of debate, David. Indeed. Um, <laughs> so the. I mean, look, I, look I, I'm, I'm playing devil's advocate here. Not that I don't uh, believe in a lot of these points I'm making, um, but but I uh, but I also hope and largely believe that these can be overcome with time, that trying to build something from nothing is incredibly difficult and inevitably there will be these um, compromises and problems in the start. But I am optimistic that with some good decision-making and collaboration, potentially, it really could build into something. It could take a heck of a long time, but it could build into something resembling the Ryder Cup. I really hope so. I'm just saying, ignoring the the issue, absolutely, ignoring the issues at the moment uh, that exist at the moment, I don't think acknowledging them necessarily poo-poos the whole concept. You know, I I think it basically... They they need to be acknowledged in order to to overcome them or or to build on on what they've done here, which, as Simon rightly said, is a a fantastic start because they thought of everything. I I was so impressed with that element of it. The the quality of the staging was unbelievable. I've not seen anything like that, you know, from from scratch. As you say, a standing start, start. I mean... My my only issue really with the staging is that I didn't love... I, I suspect the black court looked amazing in real life. I don't think it looked as good on the telly. But I do think it was set off well by the... I agree with you about the, the country colours, the vibrant blue and red against the, well, grey court as it looked on the telly. That works. And, and at the very least, there are parts of tennis that could learn a lot from what they've seen this weekend, I would suggest. Um, let's just get a, a couple of views from our listeners, some pros and uh, and those against. Uh, Vicky says, uh, my Labour Cup verdict is that I love the whole thing, but one of the best things was teaching the young stars to honest, honour past champions such as Rod Laver. And I, I take Vicky's point there because 20 years ago when I joined the ATP Champions Tour for the first time, I don't work on it anymore, but when I, when I did at that time, there, there was a real divide between the current day stars and those of the past. And, and they were constantly saying, oh, there are no characters anymore. And the, the players of the past were doing nothing to to downplay that at all because they felt cast adrift. They felt as though they were not part of tennis anymore. And tennis has started to embrace that in recent years. The ATP have done quite a lot towards that. I think some of the slams have as well. Commentaries helped with, with players still in the game, mentoring. And this was another step up from that. So I was I was impressed with that. Lizzie says, I loved every second of it. The team spirit, the atmosphere was incredible. I can't wait for next year's edition. Caroline says, I was very sceptical, but I absolutely loved it. I thought it would be an exhibition, but it turned out to be very competitive. Nick said it was definitely a success. Lucky isn't a one. Otherwise, the final match would have been an exo. But, and, uh, and it's a shame I wasn't able to watch all no, of it. No, but they, they the wouldn't TV have issues. played the final match, as I understand it. They don't play dead robbers. Yeah, that, that's a slightly 
I, I'm not sure how that would play out. But anyway, and finally, Jordan said it was so much better than expected. It could be huge in years to come. If people don't want it to be an exhibition, it won't be. Now, against that, um, Lucia says, just be honest with what it was, a weekend of purely exhibition tiebreak tennis not supported by the ATP or ITF. Is there really room for it? Mary says, OK, how cringe are the so-called celebrations from Team World at the Labour Cup? Ronin says, in gruelling injury-afflicted seasons, is there really room for this? And Ali says, fans would have been uh, annoyed, let's say, if they hadn't seen Federer on Sunday. No way that wasn't planned to ensure he played on Sunday. Did you do some so those translation there? It was annoyed his original choice of vocabulary. I did decide to use a different word on that occasion, just so so that I didn't offend my mother who's listening to the tennis podcast. We're so child-friendly here on the tennis podcast. I wonder how many many, pre-Watershed listeners we have. Who knows? My mother doesn't like swearing. What can I say? Uh, So what what do you think about all that lot? And what did you think of the point system, by the way? I I certainly think it, it, it... Look, the way it panned out for them... They they would say you know the ends justified the means, um, and I, I I think there's a strong argument for the ends justifying the means. But if your end got and and it's it's all the same point, isn't it? You know maybe some legitimacy has to be sacrificed in the first place just to get it off the ground and to get people paying attention. But I think in the long run, if legitimacy is your goal, I don't necessarily think that can fly. Because it's too too mm. too easy. It's just such a yeah. It's it's too glaringly unfair, really, isn't it? Made for fantastic entertainment, without doubt. And uh, I, I think it was fine for this year, and maybe for next year. You know, I, I I've not, yeah. I, th- I think your your um, delving into the history of the Ryder Cup is really interesting because I I don't know how long it could take for this to catch fire. You know, it could be a hundred years. I, I don't know. I haven't but... really got 100 years, Catherine. <laughs> no. no, we're going to have to be cryogenically <laughs> so, frozen and reawakened to witness, you know, on, the Labour Cup. On, is. But, Labor but Cup, yeah, but, but I really, I, I would love there to be a Ryder Cup equivalent in tennis. I think the Labour Cup has shows signs of the potential to be that. Um, and certainly I, I trust the people that are involved in, in you know they've they've shown that it's in safe hands i think absolutely they know yeah. what they're doing so you know let's not overlook the 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 question marks over it and just all cheerlead it because i think those question marks and debating them could be important to to bringing it to to what we all hope it could be so that's the labor cup If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science, with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Now, the race to Singapore is hotting up, Catherine. And uh, actually, I mean, in truth, the the vast majority of the places are, are, are pretty much filled, really, because players like Garbini Magarutha, Simona Halab, um, Elena Svitolina, Karolina Pliskova, Caroline Wozniacki, who won the title in Tokyo. And what a great performance from her. I, I, she's won her 10th consecutive year's worth of titles. She's not gone a year in the last decade without winning a title now this one was a big one for her because she was zero and six from finals this year before she won that final yesterday against Anastasia Pavlochenkova so she's she's basically there as well um, and it really then comes down to two places the, the seventh and the eighth position are the only ones that that are unlikely to, that are likely to change or or have a chance of being changed and currently in seventh is Yelena Ostapenko who won the title in Seoul um yesterday in front of an absolutely capacity crowd it was fantastic to see wonderful atmosphere there um and and she has a small advantage over Joe Conta who lost first up again in Tokyo and this time you know she she lost in, in straight sets and looked... Uh, she had some set points in the second set against Barbara Stritzova, but she's looking a little bit ropey just at the moment. A couple of first-round losses in a row. The good news from her perspective is she has about a 650-point gap over Kristina Mladenovic in ninth. Who can't hit a barn door? I would back myself against Kristina Mladenovic at the moment. She's lost eight matches in a row. She lost six love, six love last week to Kyung Wang. And, yeah... Catherine Whitaker's forehand would be frightening as a prospect for Milinovic at the moment. 
Yeah, well, uh, what on earth is going on with Christine Radanovich? That is a uh, people go through bad patches. I get that. I get how uh, bad patches can be a vicious circle as you lose your confidence and you know it spirals. I get all that, and I get also get that Qian Wang is a uh, good player on her day, coached by. Um, Peter McNamara uh, and, um, you know, has had some good results, particularly in the Asian swing, but uh, eight losses in a row and a love and love. Something's going on there. I I don't think, I don't think there's sort of active tanking going on because why bother showing up? But there's, you know, she's obviously not dialed in, is she? She's, she's, she's not dialed into tennis and her good, like you, you you can't be, can you? you? You just, she's too good a player to be losing this much and in this way if she is completely dull she looks in. pretty so anxious out there too i mean it, it just it's almost as though she's got the yips a little bit just just she just doesn't look comfortable and confident in in herself in any way i mean she, she lost six three six two yesterday i think um and uh so that's strengthens conta's gap that cushion the the one the one i thought was a real threat to her was sloan stevens who comes in off the u.s open title and she's just lost six two six two also to wang yeah maybe wang could make a late run for singapore <laughs> i don't even think that's mathematically no. possible <laughs> no if only she'd started giant killing a bit sooner um yeah, look, I personally think uh, it's a shame that Grand Slam champions don't automatically gain entry to the WTA finals. Um, they used to be in the in the men's uh, yeah, finals. But I, I, that used to happen. Not anymore, I don't think. No, I not think anymore. post I Gaston so. Gaudio. <laughs> I think they abandoned that rule. I remember. I remember when Goran won Wimbledon, and he, he he was so excited. And then he and then somebody said, "Oh, and you'll also qualify for the Tennis Masters Cup." And he was like punching the air because he'd, <laughs> he's, he's basically done nothing else for a year, and yet he was going to make this uh, massive money making <laughs> final eight. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I particularly um, well, no, both both of them really, but I, I would be really disappointed if, uh, I mean, Sloane Stevens less so because it looks highly unlikely that she's going to quite, I know she still has a chance, but losing to Kian Wang really damages her chances, doesn't it? I, I think it'd be a great shame if Elena Ostapenko is not there. Um, you know, she she could, just like she did in Paris, she could win the thing, couldn't she? She could easily win the thing. Or she could, you know, disastrously lose <laughs> in all her round-robin matches and progress no further. But, um, yeah, I'd really like... I, I, yeah, Joe, Joe Conte is looking a bit ropey, but she sometimes does make a slow start, you know, in the early parts. She tends to maybe yes, a take swing. a few tournaments to settle into a, a, a swing. That's the word I'm looking for, not a, a mini-season. So um, let's not panic. This week, Wuhan's a big week for her, though, let's be honest. Um, so, yeah, I, I think those two probably will get there. But um, it's a little bit of pressure for Conta, isn't it? A little bit of pressure for her to deal with. She didn't deal with the, the US Open pressure brilliantly well. Um, so, yeah, let's see. Let's see. 
Because yeah, I think she desperately, desperately wants to get to Singapore concerts. She, it, she'll no doubt be playing playing that down in in any press she does. But I think she she desperately wants it. Particularly after losing out on the last match of the regular season last year. To oh, and, and having to Kuznetsova. having to. She was there at the draw ceremony, and she was in all the yeah. photos and everything. I mean. She dealt with that magnificently, it has to be said, because that could have been the most spectacularly awkward thing ever. And, and she her sort of good grace about it all prevented it from um, from being that. So, yeah, I, I think she'll get there. But, oh, it could be a shaky couple of weeks. Actually, one of the players that is in striking distance is Fetlana Kuznetsova. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, she, I, I, th- I think she hurt her arm at the US Open, so I'm not 100% sure whether she... I I, I think it, both Ostapenko and Konta will take those last two places, personally. I think their gap is too big, and I think that they will get some sort of results in the next couple of weeks uh, to, to, to qualify. And that would complete... A re- I mean, there's loads of players who won't be there who would be good to have there. Also, one I didn't mention is Venus Williams. She's in the top eight as well. She's going to qualify. It's a fantastic lineup if that if that ends up being what it is. So uh, we look forward to it. And so there's Wuhan this week. They've just started that. And Beijing is next week, uh, which is an even bigger event. And there's a thousand points on offer to the winner of that. So things could change, but it looks pretty set that the final eight in Singapore. I always, now, um, sorry, on. David, sorry to interrupt. I always sort of there's a a really sort of um, sentimental part of me that really wishes Wuhan well every time the tournament comes around because Wuhan is Lina's hometown and the whole tournament was uh, was set up, conceived of, set up, you know, brought to fruition on the back of <laughs> Lina's success and bringing tennis to her hometown. And she retired about um, six weeks before the inaugural Wuhan Open I know, and, it's, <laughs> and, and it looks uh, like a fantastic event. Oh, and it we does, know people it who does, work there. I, that must Eleanor have been Preston just, runs the media and... just devastating. So I always sort of wish them well. And they do struggle with crowds because, I mean, I'm, I'm currently watching Zhang Shui of China and the, there's not many people watching. And it's a shame because it's such a good tournament. There's so many people playing it, so many good players. But anyway, I know what you mean. Um, the Davis Cup has been played over the last couple of weeks and has ended up with a Belgium against France final. I saw some of the Belgium against Australia semi and it was it was a heck of a comeback actually from Belgium in the end and, and it involved David Goffin beating Nick Kyrgios in four sets to, to get level up at 2-2 two, two. and then in the final rubber it was... Um, it was Steve Darcy who uh, got them over the line. So uh, a fantastic set of results there. And uh, France victorious over Serbia, who didn't have Novak Djokovic, of course, because he's out for the rest of the year. Um, but I think that that'll be, that'll be a really passionate final. I mean, they always are, aren't they, Catherine? But but with those two nations so close geographically as well, I mean, I've heard that we're looking at a 30,000-seat stadium for that wow. final. Um, and and you can just imagine, can't you? Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that's going to be spectacular. I mean, they're, they're, they're two very contrasting nations, aren't they? France with the the endlessly deep pool of talent, the perennial underachievers, certainly of late. I know they have won plenty of Davis Cups, but as, you know, if you were going to characterise them as a Davis Cup nation of late, you would probably, I think underachievers would, 
would probably I I would think that fair. And Belgium, I know they have David Goffin, very very good player, but let's be honest, they're they're Davis Cup overachievers, aren't they? I mean, Steve Darcy, I don't know what happens to him uh, when he plays Davis Cup, but he transforms. So I, I like that contrast. It's proper David and Goliath, I think. Um, and uh, it's going to be fantastic. Incidentally, what I don't think was fantastic, and um, I'm throwing a curveball at you here because it wasn't on our agenda, and and um, we probably need to do a, a bit more research before we um, sort of delve into it. But Conchita Martinez being sacked as the Spanish Davis and Fed Cup captain, kind of out of nowhere. Yes, I, uh, that was I heard weird and that. a shame. I interviewed her during Wimbledon when she was coaching Garbini Muguruza and asked her about her role as captain and and she was clearly hugely proud uh of, of being in those positions i don't know the reasons behind it i must say and i i, I agree real shame well real i think shame. she and the federation differ uh on the the what they consider to be the reasons behind it but anyway i've thrown a curveball at you david there we'll we'll look into it and uh and address it again the US Open, Catherine, uh, I didn't see much of you the last three days because <laughs> uh, you weren't too well. Um, but uh, j- just a couple of quick final thoughts. You got uh, any? The whole thing's a blur. I mean, my only, my, my only thoughts of the last few days of the US Open involved sort of phlegm. Um, oh, lovely. Thank you <laughs> sorry, for that image. Sorry. Um, what were my thoughts? Um I, I mean, Nadal's amazing. I uh, have to eat a bit of humble pie because I, I didn't a write bit. him off from winning it, but I certainly I didn't see that coming. You know, as weird a tournament as it was, I certainly didn't see him doing that. So it, extraordinary from Nadal. I, I think as much as Anderson was the underdog and not many people were even expecting him to get a set, I still think he underperformed in the final and perhaps has reason to feel just a little bit, you know, like maybe he, could have done a bit better and and I as sort of heartwarming as his celebration was after the semi-final upon reaching the final I was concerned when I saw that he did a pack cash in the stands um <laughs> and I, I had no problem with this at the time because I no. completely understand it but I, I kind of know what you mean I, I feel as though really that was that was his final his final wasn't yeah it? and if, if you were sat watching that and you had a ticket to the final on Sunday I think you might feel a bit like come on Kev you know, there's, an, save a bit. there's another match to go here, Kev. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Nadal, amazing. Um, and Sloane Stevens, amazing. I um, I don't know how much injury was a factor for Madison Keys in that final. I'm not sure we'll ever know. I suspect maybe a little bit, but um, nonetheless, Sloane Stevens, amazing. Those aren't particularly great thoughts, are they? U.S. Open winners, amazing. But uh, just we're just making sure Catherine Whitaker is, uh, you know, that that box is ticked. That we ask your opinion, given that you, yeah, uh, you basically left, left me to it. Champions, amazing. Little bit disappointed in Kevin Anderson. <laughs> Okay, thank you. Catherine Whittaker, that was a great bit of the podcast. Hope you managed to uh, uh, successfully uh, fast forward that little bit. Um, So, so, Pole Vault. Um, We have discussed Labour Cup in depth, so we won't do any more of that. The the next Gen ATP, which has kind of got forgotten a little bit in the last few days because of Labour Cup, uh, announced the other day, Catherine, that uh, they're going to have 
Hawkeye controlling every line. Line judges are a thing of the past, um, and only one official on court. I asked whether people liked the idea of that, and uh, 46% said yes, 54% said no, which is quite interesting. What do you say? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm all right with it. I, I, I think it's starting to get to the point where they're just throwing too many things at the wall now. Um, I'm, I can't keep track of all the, the weird and wonderful things that they're trialling at the next-gen finals. It could it could be great. I think they're going to be in the same territory of... We, I think we're going to end up debating whether that's exhibition or legit um, again. I think I think we're going to sort of revisit that debate with a, but with a next-gen tint on it uh, in a few weeks' time. Um, yeah, I've got I've got no I've got no in principle issue with with that being child. I just kind of feel a bit bamboozled by all all the things they're throwing at it. Now. Yeah, I, we we we've been involved in events before, like turbo tennis, where where it was quite similar that there were so many things being tried at the same time. Almost couldn't remember what the rules were. And yeah, um, look, they could all be they could all be brilliant. And as I've said before, I like that in principle they're trying stuff. I like the openness to change um, and and maybe, uh, you know, when the event actually starts and we're watching it, it'll all, you know, sort of become clear and, and you know, I'll have a handle on it again. But just in the build-up and reading about all the things they're doing, I just feel ever so slightly bamboozled. Yes. Uh, the other one is, the other pole vault is, uh, Nadal will retire on the following number of slams. Oh, God. We don't know, David. What are your, what are your favourites, Catherine? Uh, 16, which he's got now, 17 or 18, 19 or 20, or more than 20. What do you think? I don't think more than 20. Um, I certainly think he'll get another French. Beyond that, I don't know, David. Okay, uh, so well, forty-six percent uh, and more than a thousand people voted in this. Forty-six percent say seventeen or eighteen, and thirty-one percent say nineteen or twenty. So there's a lot of optimism out there. Um, I, I'm sh- I read somebody the other day saying that it, they thought he could make twenty. So we'll see. It's going to be very interesting. He could make twenty, David. That's not that's not groundbreaking. He could make twenty. Yeah, but will he? That's the question. Nobody, know. nobody um, knows. Saying uh, it's good, good debate, isn't it? No, it's good not, it's not a anyway. debate. Saying could, could does not mean yes. To quote the thick of it, could I beat Catherine even with that forehand? You That's could. What we all want to know. We're going to find Probably out. You wouldn't, but you listeners, could. is what, what's going to happen. Uh, any other business, Catherine? You got any before I reveal mine? Um, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm. Nervous about yours, though. <laughs> My, mine's quite nice. Mine's really good news uh, because uh, uh, just a lovely little storyline that's come through this week that Alyssa Klebanova and Vicky Deval, both players who suffered from cancer over the last few years, played the event in Lubbock in Texas and met each other in the final. Klebanova won the final. Then they played together in doubles and won the doubles title. Which is, I mean, it's just that is nice because weren't they supposed to meet in qualies at the U.S. Open, or did they? Did they meet? They were supposed to meet, and Vicky Duval, or they, she either withdrew ahead of the match, or she retired very early on in the match, um, Hmm. in qualies at the U.S. Open. I think the latter. I think she retired 
early on in the match, Vicky Duval. So um, that's a really nice postscript um, yeah, to a, nice. well, a, a fundamentally uh, not nice story, but um, thankfully one touch wood that has a, a very positive end. Yes, and uh, just a, a very final thought as well. Tornado Alicia Black, who um, was is a young US Open f- junior finalist from a few years ago, and there's, uh, there was a great piece about her in the New York Times about how she suffered through injury and, and not being able to get on the tour, and she's ended up trying to coach to sort of help support her family and so forth. And and she started a, a, a crowdfunding operation to try to fund this hip injury. And she's now $36,670 of the way towards $40,000, which is her goal. So she's only 3000 away. So hopefully she's going to be able to make a career of it. Um, so that you can go and donate for her if you like and uh, and try and help her out. But anyway, it's nice to see that sort of thing, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, good for her. I um yeah, I, I, in some in some respects that's um um a quite harrowing story really that she's having to do that. Um but good for her and uh, what a great name she's got. Yeah. Well, her, her parents came up with the names for their two kids. She's called Tornado and her sister's called Hurricane, which is I mean they're, they're pretty spectacular names uh, for marketing potentials and uh, marketing reasons and that's why they did it. But uh, anyway, she's struggled to get onto the tour. Good luck to her. Hope she gets the the surgery sorted out. Catherine, uh you you have to practice that forehand in the rain this week. Uh yeah, I think I yeah. I need I need to build up the muscle memory, so I have to practice it somewhere. Right, I'm I'm on course for this rematch. I'm so up for it. I've got my slice and dice game all figured out. I don't uh, so, I don't play I don't play slice and dices, David. I'm I'm, yeah, I'm well, above that now. Okay, yeah, but that's what you're going to have against you is all I can say, and you're going to have to deal with it. So, Catherine, uh, lovely to talk to you, as always. Thank you all for listening. We've been The Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with The Telegraph and with Eurosport. We'll be back next week. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.